Awesome. We're reading from Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, amen. Well, friends, you can grab yourselves a seat. <clears throat> I'm excited to be here tonight. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors across New Life. I have the privilege of leading our New Life family of churches. We have three churches, one in Brisbane, one in Coolangatta, and one in Rabino. I was with our Coolangatta family this morning. I'm excited to be here in Brisbane tonight. Who else is excited to be here? So good. You can tell it's winter. There's like three of us that are like warm enough to participate. Hey, uh, I, I, I'm, part of the reason why I'm excited to be here is when, when the team first planted New Life Brisbane, um, there was a dream that one day we might own a piece of real estate or rent a piece of real estate in the heart of Brisbane City, that we'd be able to do social entrepreneurship, our alpha prayer 24-7. And it's so humbling to come back and hear that this dream that we've been praying for for years is now actualized into reality. And I say that because maybe you're here and it's your first time in New Life Brisbane. Maybe you've been coming for a while. But I know this, that our God has provided and our God will continue to provide for the ministry that He wants to do here in the heart of Brisbane City. I'm only saying that because your celebration was muted and I believe that there's a moment here where we got to celebrate our God is faithful. So friends, we have a ministry hub in the heart of Brisbane City. Amen? Amen. So you. We are excited for what all God's about to do. But before I begin, would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God. As we gather together tonight, as we sit under the power of your word, or as the sweet sound of children just interplay amongst what you're about to do here, would we be attentive to your presence? Lord Jesus, help us to turn down the distractions and turn up our attentiveness to your voice. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would we hear you through the word of God? May we know you. And may we be challenged and shaped. And less of me and more of you, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, friends, I want to start off tonight what is our, our fourth week in the prayer series by kind of highlighting the, the question that our sermon today will deal with. And it's a question I think it's a little bit controversial. In my time, it's been the source of many debates, a lot of tension in my different friendship circles or family circles. When this question has been asked or raised, usually kind of lands people in a bunch of different areas as to their belief, their theology, and their understanding of what God is able to do, is not able to do, and what He will be able to enact in and through our lives. Friends, if I could answer one question for you tonight in the space of this sermon would be this. Does God care about providing you with car parks when you go shopping? Does God care about providing you with car parks when you go shopping? Now, that muted laughter then represents that some of us have been Christmas shopping before. If you're not like Adrian Demick and you do all your online shopping at six months before Christmas, and you're like me, it's the 24th of December, and you rocked up at your local shopping center, and you're like, oh my goodness, what the heck am I going to do? And for some reason, the rest of the world also chose to be disorganized and really not sensitive to your lack of organization and rock up at the same time. And half the hell of Christmas shopping is just finding a car park half the time. 
Now, if you're like me, there'll be a moment where you'll hear someone's voice, there'll be someone in your car, grandma or a friend or a family member, and they'll offer that weird suggestion that you're just not sure is actually something we should even be tabling in our relationships with God. Hey, maybe, maybe we should pray for a car park. Maybe we should pray for a car park. Now, there's probably three people in the room when I say that. There's probably your first kind of person who's like, name it and claim it, baby. Pray for that car park, pole position right next to the pram and the disabled car parks. I'm there, I'm in and I'm out. God's favor is on my life. Let's go, right? There's a bunch of you who are a bit more in my camp. You're a little bit cynical. You're like, man, I'm sure the God of the universe who literally knows the number of hairs on my head, he's holding all things together by the power of his word. You know, he's investing in what's happening in Ukraine and Africa around Europe right now, really has more on his plate than what you need in a flipping car park right now. So maybe, maybe we just don't bother God in this moment. And then there's a bunch of you here today who are maybe exploring faith with non-Christians. And when I say that there's an idea that Christians play for car, car parks, there's something that's just affirmed your original preconception of us, that we're a bunch of really weird and crazy people who pray really random things to a God that we're not sure is really out there or not. Wherever you sit, tonight I want to wrestle with this. I actually think it's a gateway into wrestling with what Jesus wants to deal with tonight as he teaches us the language of prayer. So when Jesus talks about give us this day our daily bread, the question I ask is, okay, God, so what permission are you giving us by actually inviting us to ask you for things? Is car parks on the table? Is my parents' health on the table? Is Ukraine on the table? Where are we at here? And I want to start by, by, by giving you a caveat, a bit of a confession. I'm a pastor. I'm full-time, which means I'm paid to be a professional Christian. It's, it's a blessing. I love my job. I get to work with some of the best people in the world, and it's an honor and a privilege. But if I could be real with you, this series is hard because for me, prayer is the most difficult spiritual discipline in my world. Now, spiritual disciplines are those habits that we have that form us into the likeness of Christ. And I'm an introvert that's a nerd. So when someone talks about reading the Bible, I'm all over that. I love reading the Bible. Some of you, you might not be able to relate, but that's, that's my jam. When people talk about the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, as an introvert, I'm like, that sounds like heaven. Give me more silence and solitude all by myself. But when you talk about prayer, this idea of dialoguing with an unseen creator, with believing that not only can he can hear me, but he can speak to me, that's introduced me to a new level of difficulty. And I wanna be honest and transparent and say it's not always been easy. And maybe you're here and that's how you feel about prayer. And I wanna say you're in good company. But I would also say this, as difficult prayer has been, and I wanna make this confession, especially when you have to preach on it, it goes to a new level of like acuteness and how terrible sometimes my prayer life can be. Here's what I know, I believe it is pivotal. I believe it is not optional. I believe it changes lives. It changes eternities. It has and will continue to change history. And friends, this series is an invitation to know the life-transforming power of prayer. One of my close friends, Tim Keller, says it like this. It works every time. Thank you so much. <laughs> prayer, though it is often draining, even in agony, is, the long -term, is, is in the long term the greatest source of power that is possible. And Fred, that power is available to you all tonight. And so when Jesus teaches us how to pray, does he teach us to pray that we might get a car park? Maybe. I'll leave that for a little bit later. But when Jesus launches into prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says this, let me teach you how to pray. And what does he do? Does he teach us a position? Cross your legs and hum? Does he teach us 
a, a posture? Does he teach us a place? Does he teach us an outfit that we need to pray? No, no, no. In fact, dear friends, this is what Jesus teaches us. He teaches us words. Why? Because I believe prayer is silence at times. Silent prayer is meditation. But because Jesus understands and knows the important part of any relationship building is dialogue. When you start a relationship with someone, dialogue is essential. If you were to walk up to someone and you wanted to start a relationship with them and all you did was to sit in silence and stare at them, that is weird and bizarre. Now, after many years, silence and solitude in a couple, a married couple might show intimacy, might show belonging, but at the beginning of a relationship, words are vital. There is no relationship in your life that has begun without words first being said. So what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us the groundwork of a healthy relationship with the Lord our God. He gives us language. He says, speak. So I want to say, sometimes people say to me, you know, I pray. I don't really use words. I would say words are not optional when we pray. There are times when we won't use words, but there will be times we need to, we have to. God calls us to dialogue with him, with the voice and the breath in our lungs. And when Jesus does teach us to pray, he says, these are the words that, that you might be able to use to frame, to inspire our Father who art in heaven. He says, hallowed be your name. Why does he tell us this? That we might grow passionate about making holy the name of the one who sees us for having the same relationship with him as our first brother, Jesus Christ. We have the same access. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which Jesus then gives us permission. Hey, you're worried about Ukraine? God wants his kingdom to break into that situation over in Russia, Ukraine, around the world. We would intercede for the needs of the brokenness and the broken heart in, our, in the broken natured people who need to know God's kingdom is here and present amongst us. We can do that. But then there's this moment where everything changes in the prayer and God turns around and goes, hey, you know, the next time you can pray, give us today our daily bread. And the reason why this confuses me is, is it's like he changes tonality. And we're gonna look at that language tonight. Why is the daily bread so important in this prayer? Why does Jesus invite us into this? Before we do, let me encourage you here. When we're studying this prayer, we're not studying a formula. What we're learning right now is not A plus B equals C squared every time. Hey, this is how you manipulate the arm of God if you want stuff from him. This is what you can say. This guy named Edmund P. Clowney says it like this. He says, the Bible does not teach us the art of prayer, but the God of prayer. The point of this prayer, first and foremost, is this, is that it might teach us the character of God that we come to pray to. And I want to talk secondly tonight about the invitation that this prayer has for us. And thirdly, tonight, I would love to talk to you about the hindrances and obstacles that I think might come our way as we approach God for our daily bread. But as we launch into the idea that Jesus says to us, you can pray, give us today our daily bread, what might he be highlighting here? It confuses me because the scope of what Jesus is talking about has changed. Think about where we've come from. If you weren't here the last two weeks, thy kingdom come, our Father who art in heaven. There's a sense of grandioseness to what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about a God who sits on a heavenly throne facing eternal realities, who is holding together weighty matters in our world. And suddenly in this moment, he goes, and then after you've prayed for kingdoms to come and clash, hey, you can also pause and go, and for my daily morsel of bread, Lord God, give me that as well. And it should confuse us that Jesus is so able to change the scope of God's attention from heavenly realities to daily physical needs. What does this reveal to us about the character of God? It's that there is no such thing as a God whose plate is too full 
that he does not have the space, the time, the margin to care about what is going on in your world. Book of Psalms chapter 8 says this, what is man that God would be mindful of him? I think sometimes we forget that. That when we look at the universe, when we look at the world around us, when we think of how amazing and large it all is, that there would be permission we have to boldly enter the throne room of God and draw his attention to whatever minutia is going on in our world right now. It should boggle our minds that God doesn't find that a hindrance. He longs to lean in and listen. And in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's reminding his disciples not of a new character of God, but a characteristic of God that has been present for all time. In fact, even the language of daily bread for those who are good students of the Torah or grown up in the Jewish schools or the synagogues would be reminded of the other times that God provided their daily bread, such as back in Exodus chapter 16. If you're wondering, guys, whose is that child that's crying? It's mine. It's my child. He's just getting convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's fine. Maybe, I don't know. Let's pray. In Exodus chapter 16, the disciples would have been well aware of this idea that daily bread wasn't just a nice notion for the Israelites, but thousands of years before Jesus had walked the earth, the Israelites were a slave, enslaved people in the nation of Egypt. A man named Moses came and by the power of God led the Egyptians out of slavery into freedom into the middle of the desert. And as they're in the middle of the desert, they find themselves for the first time without slave owners, without imprisonment, but also without the guarantee of daily provision. And in that moment, they find themselves uncertain about where will their next meal come from. And so they grumble, they call out to God. And thousands of years before Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, we find the people in the desert crying out in complaint, saying, God, did you lead us out here to die? And God reveals the nature of his character to them and says, I am not your slave master, but your God in heaven. I will provide for you out of the goodness of my heart, out of the goodness of my character. And he provides what is known as manna, this bread-like substance upon the ground every day for the Israelites to pick up for six days of a week, and on the seventh day, they're allowed only on the sixth day to gather enough for two days. But every other day, week, day in, day out, they're only meant to gather enough to sustain them for the day ahead. Why? Because God wants to teach them something so important about the character of God that we've forgotten. They would give him a name because of this, known as Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Because God didn't want to teach them, hey, this is how you can gather manna, invest it in like a share market portfolio and buy some crypto that you can double down on provision for the rest of your life, set up a bit of a plan for your family and be secure forever. No, he says, no, 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 I will provide for you. Now, there's nothing wrong with investing. There's nothing wrong with being wise with money. But what God is trying to teach Israelites, and I believe the disciples and even us today, is part of the key characteristics of God's nature is that he is our provider. He is the Lord who gives freely and abundantly all good things to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And even those who aren't, God blesses and rains down His mercy on us all. Why is this pivotal for us understanding what Jesus is saying here? Why is this so important? It's because Jesus in this moment is trying to teach us the character of a God who is not just our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but who leans into your daily concerns and says, hey, I want you to know me and be marked by the fact that I will always be your provider. Jesus actually tells us this. He says that actually when we come to God and we ask things of him, 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he promises us this. He makes a comparison between God our Father and, and humanity's God. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What is this promise from Christ? He's saying this, when we come before God and ask God, the promise is this, God will give you good. Now that challenges some of us, but I think it challenges some of us because we have a weak definition of good. We think good is what we want. That's not how I've taught my son to define good. My son comes to me sometimes with his daily needs, not the one that was just crying, a different one, backwards cap, a little bit of a G, was down here before, now he's gone somewhere. And, um, and, he's, uh, and he comes to me sometimes like, Daddy, Daddy, I need a chalky milk. I need a chalky milk. And I'm like, I don't think you do need a chalky milk, my son. I think you want a chalky milk. There's a difference. I'm really hoping he's not hearing me right now because he's probably going to come out and be like, oh, chalky milk time. But sometimes he'll come to me and say, Daddy, I need a water. Now, part of being a parent, both legally, responsibly, and integrally, is to provide my son with water. So when he says, I need water, I'm like, this is a good thing. I'll give you water whenever you want, as long as it's not before bedtime, so you're just delaying the inevitable. Like, you always get water. But I know for a fact that good chalky milk is not always good for him, even though he always thinks it will be. But there are some times we're out at the shops, and I'm just like, man, you can have chalky milk right now. Let's go. And he loves it. But he also trusts that I know what is good for him. Now, that's not what it looks like in the middle of the tantrum, but I know that he trusts that I know when chalky milk is good. And friends, the reason why I say this is this is not how sometimes we treat God. We come to God and ask for needs, but instead of trusting, we act more like a tantrum than we do like someone going, God, you will give me whatever I need and whatever is good. He just came and asked for chalky milk, so good. <laughs> just out in the courtyard, man, you just go out there. You're in the courtyard for it. We're out there, just run outside. The reason why I say this, friends, is when we come to God and we bring our needs before Him, we have to also recognize that if God is who He is and we know God's character to be good, then we can trust Him with our requests. And sometimes it's not always yes. Sometimes it's not always agreeance. Sometimes we've got to recognize a relationship is not an ATM machine for transactional behavior, but a trusting of a God who can and is able to go, hey, thy will be done, also carries over into our daily provisional needs. We can't say it's just about his kingdom and not what we need today, but actually going, God, hey, I bring you my needs today and I submit myself to you in every single way, friends. Do you know God as Jireh? Do you know God as your provider today? As the one who longs to give his character and the overflow of his heart that you might know that you are his child. The beauty of this passage, before I move on to the invitation, is that it's not just about you. But when you hear what Jesus says, he says, give me today my daily bread. No, he says, give, give, come on, it's just Alex and it's not that hard. He says, give, give us today our daily bread. And so Jesus in this moment isn't just showing God's heart for you, he's showing you God's heart for community. That if Alex prays for daily bread, but has two loaves in the fridge and he knows that his friend has nothing and when we say, give God, give us today our daily bread, Alex recognizes it's not just about his needs, but that God may be using Alex to be his hand of miraculous provision in someone else's life. So when Alex comes and tells me that New York Brisbane is doing this fishes of men thing, where in the Brisbane Sea, we go out and walk with people from all walks of life saying, hey, you know what? Being a part of praying, giving us today our daily bread, Martin Luther, the great reformist would say this, that prayer is not just about you, it's also about recognizing that there are economical realities, there are social systems that deprive people of daily bread. And so when we pray this prayer, we're saying, God, end injustice so that all people might be fed. 
What a powerful thing that we might pray that shows us the heart and character of God to care for all people. This is what the prayer first teaches us. The second thing is, is that it's a mighty invitation. Friends, I've spoken about this before at New Life Brisbane, but to talk about invitation, I've got to ask you a question. What does it look like to be mature in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we know what it looks like to be mature in the world. If I showed you an infant or, you know, in juxtaposition between like maybe my son before and any of you, some of you might say maturity is your ability to decide when you can have chalky milk or not, right? What is maturity in this day and age? It's when we actually grow to the space where we are actually independent to a certain measure and able to make our own decisions and apply wisdom and take responsibility. That is what maturity looks like in the world. The problem is in the kingdom of God, maturity looks like the exact opposite. See, Jesus doesn't say have faith like an adult. He says it's childlike faith. Why? Because children are not independent of their parents. They are dependent upon their parents. Spiritual maturity in the kingdom of heaven is not about how independent can you become of God, but how increasingly dependent are you on the work and ways and ministry of the Holy Spirit and His presence in your life. Friends, people who are self-sufficient and don't need God to step into their world are only proving spiritual immaturity, not spiritual maturity. Everyone in my world who's been walking longer than I have, who's loved God far more deeply or more authentically than I have, is marked not by a needlessness to pray, but by a great need and desire to seek God in every single part of their world. And it challenges me because all I do is hang out with them and realize I don't depend on God as much as I need to. And I'm a pastor. To grow in our faith is not to become more self-sufficient, but more God-dependent, friends. That's what Jesus is teaching us. He's saying God actually wants to be involved in all of your life. The problem with this so often is that the reason why we don't bring God our daily needs is because it means, uh, Pete Grigg, the writer of uh, this book, How Do We Pray? And the 24-7 movement says this. It means three things that can challenge us. Asking God for stuff, first of all, is relational. And we don't like a relational God. We prefer a transactional God. Not a God who wants to converse and talk and, and minister with us, but a God that will give us what we want. That's not how God works. God is a God of relation. He longs to dwell with you and in you and talk and minister among you. The second thing is that to ask God for things is to be vulnerable. And we don't like vulnerability because vulnerability means we're weak. But actually the most spiritually mature people in my life are those who are first to admit how weak they are and dependent on God they are. Friends, how vulnerable are you with God? The last one is that to ask God for things is intentional. It's to recognize that God has to be involved and needs to be involved in our everyday life. And the truth is, is that I've learned that self-sufficiency is the anti—I get this wrong all day—is the antithesis. How do you say it, Alex? Antithesis. Nailed it. Don't worry, man. I've got it. (laughs) The antithesis. Let's try a different word. Spiritual self-sufficiency will actually kill your relational and spiritual vitality in the kingdom of God. And I realized this this week when my son Archer, God bless him, wherever he is. I literally don't know where he is. My wife is here, but my son is nowhere to be found. He's watching something. It's great. And he, would, um, he was waking up at 4 a.m. every day this week. And I've got to be honest, I didn't handle it too well. I was pretty angry because I had to preach this epic sermon at Brisbane this weekend and I needed all my energy for it. That's literally my thought process. I was up at 4 a.m. He's like, tell me another story. I'm like, no, go to sleep. And it's like, got to the point where it's like, and if you're a parent in the room, you know where I'm at. Like, I just felt so discouraged about my parenting. Like, I'm like, clearly I'm a terrible dad because my son won't sleep. Like, this is the worst thing in the world. And I was getting really down about it. 
And I remember this moment, I'm writing this prayer, this, this sermon about give us today our daily bread. And there's this moment where I'm, I'm before the Lord, I think, what do you want to say to Brisbane? And suddenly I just sense God be like, hey, just before we get there, hey, what do I want to say to you? Michael, have you brought this thing before me? My like, God, it's just my son unable to sleep. He's like, is this not your daily need today? And so I did, I'd come before God in prayer. And the next morning at 4 a.m., Archer woke up screaming again. Now you're like, wow, that didn't end. But here's what, here's what changed. God wanted to talk to me about what's going on in my life in those moments. When I brought it before him, he said, Michael, I want to talk to you about your patience. I want to talk to you about your grace. I want to talk to you about the way that you respond to your son when he frustrates you at times. My need revealed a greater need in my life. And my prayer actually allowed God to start dialoguing with me in new and vibrant ways. Friends, there is a moment when self-sufficiency is the death to our relationship with God. He hasn't called you to do this on your own. He's called you to do this with Him. Who loves the fact that in the middle of this sermon, the Holy Spirit's making Himself known through bubbles down the front here? It's like the presence is in the house tonight. Is the humble ability to say, no, God, I need you today. I need you right now. And to believe that He will rock up. But friends, this isn't just about our kids going to sleep. This should be for the miraculous to break into our world. A guy named George Mueller, an 18th century kind of leader in the British church, started an orphanage in Bristol. He had about 120,000 orphans who came through his ministry over his lifetime. But this man who fed and raised 120,000 orphans believed that he would never do a fundraising campaign for what God had promised him. He just believed in the God of the daily bread. So there are these stories, countless stories of George Mueller's faith where he would hop up in front of this room filled with orphans and they would have nothing on their plate. There'd be nothing in their larder because he'd be broke. And he'd say, school starts very soon, kids. So you need to start eating. Let's pray. Give us today our daily bread. And there's these beautiful stories. The next moment there was a knock on the door and George Mueller goes down. And in that moment, he opens up and the baker of the town is outside. He says, George, I was woken at 2 a.m. this morning. God told me that you guys might need some bread today. I made a whole bunch of bread. Could I help out? Is that, would that be helpful? He's like, would that be helpful? The next thing he knows that the milkman comes around the corner and says, George, we've just broken down down the road. All of our milk's gonna spoil. Can you use any milk today? He goes, could we use any milk today? Come on. And this was actually the marker of George Mueller's ministry, which God provided day in and day out. Now, I'm not saying, friends, don't go to Woolies tomorrow and just pray a really radical prayer tomorrow morning because that was God's call upon his life. But there is something that should inspire us where George Mueller said, God's called me to something. I will not rely on my own strength, the provision of mankind. I'll rely on the provision of heaven for what heaven has promised. Friends, where are you depending on God more than anything else in your life? A guy named Walter Weeks says this, a miracle is just a word we use for the things the powers have deluded us into thinking God is unable to do. That's meant to be two words, not one. God is unable to do. And why do I say that? Because friends, I think we need new George Mueller's in this generation. I'm looking around my world, even in my own life, and where are the people who are willing to step out and say, I'm gonna pray desperately and fervently that the miracles of God are able. You know why? Because God is not often the distance thinking, what are they gonna do with creation? All of this is His. Where are the people who step out in faith and praying for healing and praying for revival and praying for renewal, praying that our God can and our God will because our God is in charge and is sovereign and reigns over all. When God heals someone, the person who's least surprised is God. He doesn't go, wow, holy smokes, who knew that would happen? There's this great quote. And friends, I don't know if it's even theologically helpful, but I know it's been helpful for my prayer life that 100% of prayers that we don't pray go 100% unanswered. 
Because I believe this, friends, God longs to answer. God longs to speak. God longs to move and talk today. So should we pray for car parks? Archbishop William Temple says this, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. Can I, can I offer my, my maybe heretical, least theological explanation about car parks? I think you should. And here's why. Every time I've met someone that prays vigilantly for car parks, like every time, like annoyingly so, driving into the car park, like, oh, yes, Jehovah Jireh, you are my provider, let's go. It's like, it's like 12 o'clock at night, no one's here, like, what are you doing, right? That person, can I be honest? They pray about a lot of things. In my life, the moments that I've mocked people for what they pray for, can I be honest? I'm not praying for much. I've fallen into theological paralysis of being like, well, I'm not sure that's, that's really the right level for God. And I think that seems down here. So I'm, you know, I'm really gonna make sure that I'm only gonna pray that I, stuff I know is God's will. And if it's, I don't know it's God's will, I'm not gonna pray. When I do pray, I'm gonna make sure I say, only if it's your will, God, if it's not your will, then just make me obedient and subservient. And I'm trying to do all these gymnastics when I pray. And can I be honest? It tires me out half the time and I wanna stop praying because I have to get it right. As if God needs us to work out how to say stuff to Him rightly. As if we could ever do that. But here's what I know. When I come before God, I'm like, hey, God, I'm pretty stressed out. It'd be really great if you rocked up at the car park right now. When it comes, I'm often like, God, thank you. What is bad about that? But friends, it's not just about car parks. It's about all of our life. It's about praying for moments of divine inspiration that the small miraculous things would lead us to believe into the great miraculous things. If all you pray is for car parks, then yeah, maybe stop. But if you can pray for everything, invite God into your world. Because we are called to be a people who are surprised consistently by God's divine interruptions. And I believe we've had many today. We've just missed them. Corey Tamboon says it like this. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It's a great quote that says, there are no atheists in foxholes or crashing planes. Why? Because we all call out for help when we're out of control. What would it look like, however, if God wasn't just there in our crisis, but in our everyday? Friends, He is Jehovah Jireh for thousands of years, since the beginning of time, since before that, He is the provider of all things. When was the last time you came to God as your provider today? So I wanna finish now with the three things that I think hinder our faith. The three things that I think slow us down, the three things that lead us to not want to pray. The first one, is, I think is this, is that we're hindered by what I was talking about before, self-sufficiency. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up. Anyone else grew up in one of those households? Me and Aaron, oh wow, this is good. Wow, so great. And then you watched it and you're like, wow, this is a really intelligent show. This is really great. Maybe mom and dad's want me to be dumb. There's this moment, right, where, where Bart Simpson gets asked to pray for the food and he prays this prayer. God, we paid for all this ourselves. So thanks for nothing. <laughs> and sometimes we think about this. Hey God, like what did you do for my investment portfolio? I mean, God, I got the job, I got the girl, I got where I am. And it's such a really dangerous path that leads to self-sufficiency where you think that there's a difference between what you do and what God permits. And I say this, I don't want to go down that line too fast. And we start about free will and predestination and all that stuff. But, but let me just be clear here. Friends, there is nothing in this world, particularly that which is good, which does not exist because of the will of God. 
Everyone take a deep breath in. What did you do to earn that breath? We forget that all things have their creation and existence because of one starting point, God the creator. Everything is on loan or everything is given back to him in glory. And friends, we've got to recognize and remember that, friends, it's not if he will provide. He has already provided. Self-sufficiency is merely just a delusion of thinking we have more than we do, that we're more in control than we are. The book of Job, we read these words that remind us of the control of God. If it were his intention and he withdrew his, his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. Friends, I don't say this to scare you because this is not the will of God. This is not his intention. But it allows us to know how deeply permeating God's existence is into the middle of all things. There's not a person in this room who is living a life that God is not infinitely aware of, nor that he was a part of when you were formed in your mother's womb. Friends, self-sufficiency is merely a lie that has an end date where we come crashing to the reality that we don't have to do this on our own. We were never called to. You were created to need God. The second thing I think which stops us praying this prayer is simply this, is this idea of cynicism. I don't know if you're a cynic in the room. I am. If you're a cynic in the room, you just thought, no, you're not. <laughs> Cynics get it. <laughs> I'm cynical. And what I've found is that cynicism robs me of a prayer life. Because this is what cynicism does. Cynicism in my life, I believe, protects me from disappointment. I'm cynical because I've been disappointed too many times. Anyone else relate? But here's what I've found. Cynicism, friends, doesn't protect me from disappointment. It guarantees disappointment. Because I don't live my life with joyful expectation, but with expectant disappointment. And I see people finding random beauty in bubbles floating up during a service. And I'm robbed of finding the beauty in that moment. Not right now, I thought it was great. But I wanna to ask today, friends, has your past disappointments with God or humanity robbed you of joyful expectation? Brief story. Corey Tamburn was caught with her sister, Betsy. I don't think it was Betsy, but we'll call her Betsy for now. In uh, Ravensbrook, in the middle of the Holocaust. And they found they could not pray, they could not gather, they could not worship God together because the Nazi guards were too uh, firm and they, they would just interrupt. They weren't allowed to kind of meet or gather the way they wanted. And then God reminded Corey to pray and rejoice in all things, giving God thanks, thankfulness in all situations. So she started to give him thanks for the food, for the sister's company. And one day they got moved to a new barracks. In this new barracks, there were fleas in the mattress. And Betsy turns to Corey and says, I can't believe that there are fleas. And Corey says, let's thank God for the fleas. And Betsy turns around and goes, that's stupid. We're not, why would you thank God for the fleas? But as Corey does day after day, they start to gather and they pray and they find that the guards aren't interrupting them. They're able to worship. In fact, people were able to come and do church in this barracks in the middle of this camp, which Christianity was kind of not allowed. And what ends up happening in this moment is they were wondering why. And they found out the reason why no guards would interrupt their worship services or their community was because they were afraid of contracting the fleas. And Corey said, I learned to thank God for all things because I didn't know what he was doing in the trial. Friends, cynicism robs us of seeing the hand of God in the beautiful moments. And the last thing is this, is that it's the obstacle of trust. And, and I think some of us now, 
our, our self-sufficiency, our cynicism has left us to a moment where we don't trust God because we believe that there are prayers we've prayed that God doesn't answer. And I finished with this. I don't believe there is any prayer you've ever prayed that God hasn't answered. Answering a prayer and yes are two different things. And this is hard. But what I heard, and I've preached on this before, I remind us of again, is when Pete Greig gave us this traffic lights in, uh, analogy of how God interacts relationally. That there are three responses to every prayer that we pray. The first one is the way we love God to respond. It's the George Mueller one. It's the one of God, give us today our daily bread. Knock, knock, knock. Here's some hungry jacks. Praise you, Jesus. This is the best. I'm a university student. You are alive and well, right? Like the green prayers that we pray where it's just like God says yes, and it's almost like a direct line to heaven. Maybe you've not experienced that yet, friends. So maybe some of you had their beautiful moments. Can I be honest? Those prayers are not common in my life. But then there's the yellow prayers, the prayers where we pray to God and he says, hey, it's just, I just want you to wait on me. And these can be the frustrating ones. George Mueller, this man I talked about earlier, had five friends who weren't Christian and he prayed for his whole life for all five friends. After 30 years of praying every single day, two of them came to know Jesus. After another 10 of praying every single day, another friend came to know Jesus. It took him till after he had died for his last two friends to come and know Jesus. But George Mueller understood something, that if prayer was about relationship and not transaction, that every time he prayed, he threw his trust on God to say, hey, if you're calling me to wait, it's because you're good, it's because you're loving, it's because your plan is better than my plan. Friends, maybe some of you are praying for something right now and God's saying wait, but do we follow God because he says yes or because he is good, because he is worthy, because he has already provided for us? And the hardest prayer that we pray is the one that sometimes God says no to. And can I just highlight that sometimes we don't know if it's yellow or red, this side of eternity? And this is difficult. And I don't want to pretend for a moment to understand the complexity of your situation. But I know this, that even though God has said no, it is not because he has lost control. Friends, if you were to ask me when my mother went through cancer, why God did not heal her, but I heard of other people being healed, I do not know. I do not know. If you were to ask me why there are moments of deep grief in my life where I called out to God and he did not answer with yes, I'm not, I'm not overly aware of the, 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 the fullness of the answer. God's revealed some stuff. And some of your situations are too complex. And I respect you too greatly to give you a pat answer that might make you feel good for a moment but leave you cold late at night. Other than this, that I know that we serve a God that one day promises us all things will make sense, even the things that seem unjust and cruel, even the things that we do not yet comprehend or understand. And when we struggle with this, friends, the greatest thing we can hold on to is there was a moment when Jesus himself received a red light from heaven and we got to benefit from it. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus calls out to his father in heaven. You may have heard me say this before, where he says, Father, if there be any other way, than for me to go to the cross. If there's another way than for me to take the sins of the world and be broken and hurt, if there could be any other way, take this cup from me. And it's not a green light, friends. And because of us, heaven responded with this is the only way. And I am so thankful that Jesus' next line was, but your will be done. But your will be done. 
On the cross of Jesus Christ, we do not see a God who cruelly sits in heaven giving us red lights, yellow lights, and green lights and hoping we can cope, but a God who steps in, a God who steps into suffering, a God who goes in before us and says, I love you, I listen to you. Just because I don't say yes doesn't mean I'm disengaged. Just because I don't give my son jockey milk doesn't mean I don't love him. But friends, how much more for us? You are loved. Do not let disappointment rob you of relationship with God. He longs to talk with you and answer your prayers. What are your needs today that God is calling you to bring before his throne? Friends, would you bow your heads and pray with me? I'm just gonna sit just for a moment. The band's not gonna come and play. They're just gonna wait. Friends, as we sit for a moment, you're gonna hear kids scream and laugh and giggle and I just say, challenge you, this is probably the sound of heaven in a beautiful way. Holy Spirit, we just pause right now and I I just ask, what, what do you want to say to us? What scriptures are you calling to mind? What needs have we depended upon ourselves to fulfill? Just in these moments, just as you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just, you know, sometimes I believe that maybe God just reveals something and it might be wrong and this might not be anyone in the room. But I just sense that maybe there's some people in the room that, are, that can relate to me uh, in, the, in the sense that cynicism is a dear friend and it's the protection for your heart. But I just sense God saying it's robbing you of joy. And I wonder today that maybe you've come in with cynicism, but God wants you to leave on the journey of healing. That you might know joyful expectation. Hey friends, if that's you today, I just wonder if you just open your hands in front of you. Just, just you and God right now, just open your hands. Father, I pray for every one of us who past disappointments, doubts or skepticisms have, have, have hindered us. Lord, I believe you've called us to be a people who talk with you and expect to hear from you. God, sometimes it can be real hard to believe it. Heal that part of our heart or our lives begin to talk with us. May your spirit be a healing balm on the hurt and the disappointment. More than your plan, Father, reveal to us your character. Thank you, Jesus. Last thing I want to do today, just as we were praying just then, and maybe God's still ministering to you with the cynicism, and, and I'll just encourage you to sit there, just if everyone keeps their heads bowed and eyes closed. I'd actually love us to pray for each other. And maybe I've talked today about there being some daily needs 
and you're here today and there's some areas of your life that you're realizing you've been carrying too much on your own uh, and you would love to just bring them before the throne of God today and just say, God, here are my needs. I, I, need, to, I need to hear you speak or move into these areas of my life. I expect there would be a bunch of us, but I don't know why it's the first time today I felt prompted to say this, but that there's one or two people today with there, there's, a, there's a serious burden that God doesn't want you to leave here without placing it into his hands. And I would love to pray for you today. And if that's you, if you know you've got this need that's weighing you down, God said, hey, I wanna carry this with you and maybe even miraculously answer it for you. If that's you, I just wonder, would you just stand wherever you are? I know it's bold, I know you're like, but I just, I, I just would really love to pray for you. Since it might be one or two people. If you come and came in here with a need, that's weighing down. You need God to speak into it. I'll wait for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I want to wait just a moment longer because I, I do believe some of you are saying, is this me? Can I just offer... I, it's me. I think there might be a couple of us here that, that, that God just wants to speak into. Would you stand with us right now? Thank you, Father. We've got a couple of people standing. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've got breath in your lungs, can you just go stand next to one of these people that are standing? Just real quick. Just, just, it's cool. If you're sitting going, is that me? If you love Jesus, just go stand there. Just place your hand on them. And don't say anything. We're just going to stand together just for some needs today. Not because they're less than us, but because they're part of us. So Jesus, right now, and Luke, if you want to come start playing, my man, that'd be great. The band comes. And I pray for these people who carry some weights in here. God, I pray that you would honor their faith. As you saw the faith of those men who carried their paralytic friend and dropped him through the roof, Lord, you see the faith of those standing right now. And Lord, I pray Speak. Call to mind the scriptures that remind them of your promises. Lord, I thank you that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, I thank you that for someone right now, you remind him, I'm your provider. You do not have to worry. And as we stand with them, Lord God, we just pray. Friends, maybe you're sitting here in this moment and you're, and you're going, oh, this first time, what, what's going on here? I just, I really believe that um, when we bring stuff into church, not only should we surrender it, but we should ask our community to stand with us around it. So just in this moment, if you're standing with someone, just stand with them. And if you feel led to pray, pray a blessing over them, pray encouragement over them, and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to them just for a moment. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And wherever you are across this room now, would you join with us and stand? Please don't leave those people if you don't feel to. You don't have to rush this. It's not about finishing. It's just about allowing the Holy Spirit to do the next thing. God, I pray for those who stood. I pray what you started today in Jesus' name, you would continue. There is someone today who came desperate. And I pray, may their desperation, as it so often did in the Bible, May it, not, may it do more than just trigger the compassion of God. May it remind them that you're a God who already knew of their need and you're longing to respond. You're longing to respond. Thank you, Father. 
You know, friends, it's interesting. Nearly every miracle in Jesus' ministry began with someone speaking. Jesus, if you will. Jesus, if you can. And I just challenge you today as we sing this song and we step into a time of worship, as we sing about the goodness of God, I just wonder, maybe it's time we begin to language the things we're carrying. I, I didn't have time to do the study, but I'm fairly sure there's almost no moment in the Bible where Jesus miraculously heals someone where someone didn't ask for it to happen. And God wants to step in. Let's invite Him into our needs, into our longings, for He has provided and will continue to. Amen? Amen. Let's worship Him.